0: I'm doing okay, um, just I was working on some creative writing curriculum before uh, this conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, um, monitoring the various controversies I have to monitor as a podcaster um, and
1: actually' it it's just also printing off research, so
0: you know that's my Great afternoon.
1: Tip. Going to take away your YouTube card if you don't monitor all the controversies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, you just have to. I mean, it's – it's (laughs) – Twitter controversies are a a very rare breed in that I literally can't keep up with who's pissed off who for what, for what reason, and if it's actually real.
1: Uh (laughs) (laughs) You know. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair. Uh, so so we did just kind of jump right into it. Uh, do you want to uh, do you want tell anybody who, uh, if there's anybody in the room who doesn't know who you are, what you do, who you are, and what you do? Yeah, sure. I uh, I am
0: a teacher, a poet, and a, a podcaster slash theorist. I have been I'm I'm primarily published in poetry, although I have been working on a co-author book on Christopher Lash for about two years. It's probably gonna take about another two years to finish before people get all uppity about that. Um, and I host Varm Vlog, um, which hosts a bunch of other sub-shows, uh, collaborations with Antifada uh KB and collaborations with uh Gene Bajelon from the the broader TIR crew. And I occasionally work with um, various publishers. I used to work for Doug Lane at zero books. That's kind of how I got my start. And I've been a, I've been a quote left wing podcaster for over a decade, which is kind of sad.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's sad or not, but it certainly boggles the mind. Um, sort of. I'm trying to remember the first time I even listened to a left wing podcast, it was certainly less than ten years ago. Yeah, um,
0: I guess that maybe be. that's
1: not, maybe that's not true. Maybe I, I did actually list to subs before that, but a lot less. Yeah, th-
0: well, there weren't that many when we started. When I started, occasionally showing up as a guest on, um, Diet Soap Part One, um, in two thousand and eleven, <laughs> um. There was Diet Soap, seeding Red Radio, and this slate of shows at Pacifica Radio, so like Doug Henwood Show, Democracy mm-hmm. Now, um,
1: Against the Current was another, but they were all they were all Pacifica Radio shows, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is kind of funny to think about itself, right? That it was a transitional period where, like, even the podcasts were were still affiliated with the radio. Mm-hmm. It
0: was definitely the case at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's also, I mean, like, obviously you're talking about leftist shows, but I mean, even in terms of liberal media, um, like, I don't know, I mean, I feel like um, even, well, okay, so I wonder when, like, uh, Air America and all that stuff finally went off air, because that was, like, Bush era... And you're talking about like Obama era, but it, you know some of that might have still existed. 2006, and then a lot of the first rave of of like left
0: liberal podcasts start immediately thereafter. Um, so 2006, I, but Air America was a real brief, yeah. uh, program. I think. Let's see, because oh, it kind of was still going on in 2010. Uh, okay. But, most of the shows were off air by two thousand eight and it started in two thousand four um but like you know mark Marin starts mm-hmm. around then after air america collapses uh sam cedar uh you know the majority report moves from from air america into podcast land and i guess t y t was was always kind of a transitional
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh half half radio, half podcast slash later streaming slash a thousand things. But
1: um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you're, so you said over a decade. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's like what? 2012 or sometime earlier than that. Yeah. I start my first podcast appearance
0: anywhere is 2011. My, I start showing up regularly on on diet soap in 2012 when i was living in south korea
1: yeah okay uh which is actually funny so because the reason i corrected myself when i said i never listened to leftist podcast that long ago is that you know for the most part i did not but um but uh i did after i said that i remembered that i was i I, (laughs) i'm not urging anybody to look this up i don't think it's my best work but um but I was actually a guest on uh the Diet Soap podcast back in like two thousand and uh maybe 2011, because it was it was definitely when I was living in Korea the first time. So uh so it would have been right around there. Uh, so I I must have so there was at least one left wing podcast whose existence that I was aware of, but uh otherwise I will I will say the uh um you know, I I don't the only uh the only podcast I remember listening to back then was about hockey. So uh that it was it was certainly not something that was on my radar in uh in a big way, but i know Doug from uh, non-political context, from from writing context, uh since a few years before that. And so he, you know, probably was something where we had a conversation about something on social media. He was like, Hey, you wanna come on my podcast to talk about this?
0: Yes, um, I met Doug during 2010 when I was doing a bunch of research for a university gig, trying to uh, trying to clarify all the the popular critical theory around Marxism. So much of which now has been. Um, problematized I guess um, since that time period but it was actually very interesting because outside of academia you know um, and occasionally Zizek on YouTube that stuff was not part of internet culture broadly and and it changed and I think in the early teens mm-hmm. but didn't really catch on until the, the Trump administration right Like, like no I didn't know of a single like left podcast that was self-sustaining
1: oh. like before mm-hmm.
0: 2016.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really good point too. I mean, cause I'm, I'm trying to remember, like I know that uh, I certainly started to listen to, to Chapo in 2016 Um it was like late enough in 2016 that I remember finding it like mildly depressing because some of it was like early Bernie campaign and, you know, and it didn't age well, but, uh, or, you know, that it aged sadly, right? Let's put it that mm. way. But, um, but I remember for a long time when I would listen to left podcasts, it was always, um, I mean, one thing is I usually didn't listen to them for very long. Like I remember and and yeah that, that point about self sustaining I remember oftentimes they would be like sponsored by something you know it's like the the podcast of of some magazine or some other thing that existed more generally, and I would maybe be you know I'd maybe like the magazine or I'd like the host, and I'd get excited about listening to it and I have to admit usually my um usually the story with me and left podcasts uh other than you know. Chapo, I consistently listen to, but other than that, you know, is usually like I'd listen to – I'd get excited about it. I'd listen to a few episodes. And then I'd start to get the sneaking feeling that it started to feel like homework. <laughs> and I, I didn't actually uh, – I wasn't particularly looking forward to it, you know, just because just it's like as um, – yeah, as media products, I think a lot of this stuff just wasn't very good back then. I mean, like like really the, the first – you know, I mean, Chapo primarily a comedy podcast, but the first um, – the first sort of meteor thing that, that I actually liked was TMBS. Mm. But yeah. um, um, Which is funny because,
0: because I'm notoriously on record for not listening to left wing podcast. Like I, yeah. (laughs) Um, For example, with, with uh, TMBS, I actually discovered it from Michael coming on, a supplement i did for zero books so so i was kind of late
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i'd actually started listening to tmbs uh a few weeks before i met the guy because i had the because um my uh because my friend mark from grad school recommended it to me and said oh you might like this he seems to have a lot of the same sort of concerns that you do about the you know the, the the left not thinking about optics and stuff like that uh and you know he was right but uh anyway we, we we got off we got off um off course a little bit but this is interesting to to go back to and i should say if anybody wants to get in the queue and, and, and call in um the question uh for derek go for it uh we will start taking calls right away but you know, usually every other every time, like I've had you on the big show on YouTube, uh, it's always been to talk about something specific, not just kind of like, hey, you want to come on the college show? You know, shoot the shit for a few minutes and take some calls. Uh, so I'm I, I kind of um, to take the opportunity of this a little bit to uh, to trace a little bit of the the parts of the uh, the story of Varnum that are unclear in my head. Um, so. You know, we've we've been talking about all this history of left podcast stuff because you've been, you know, you were saying that you've been doing left podcasting for ten years. Uh, but how how much longer than ten years ago were were you even on the left? I mean, I know there were some like transitions and you know evolution there.
0: Yeah, I I I think I was fully a leftist by the end of the Obama campaign. But it it was a long transition out, and you know, I've recounted that other places. And by out for me, I didn't really stop in the Democratic Party very long. Um, I was a Mike Gravel supporter, which I knew was a hyper long shot in 2008. Um, and then when Gravel left the Democratic Party primary to throw an even more long shot and kind of insane bid in the Libertarian Party, I shifted allegiance over to Barack Obama for optics reasons and for him being the the non-establishment establishment candidate, which is uh, which is, you know, kind of it, it's hard to believe now, but it was definitely believable at the time. When, when Barack Obama appointed his cabinet to when he Back down really quickly on Gitmo. I was radicalized. Um, I yeah. completed my radicalization. I've been interested in Marx actually since about two thousand and five, mm-hmm. but had you know you remember what the odds
1: were like? Like you were you you I'm were an sure. odds I was. Marxist. Yeah. I was. <laughs> um. It's like and, the same scene to the, the Simpsons with House, You know, I, I won't remember if I keep taking these pills. Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, so, I had kind of come out of the paleo conservative milieu, gone through a little bit of what what was called the skeptics movement, and was a critic of Sam Harris before it was cool. Um, and between that and Barack Obama being so quickly. Uh, you know, obviously an insider man. Um, I started just looking for left wing critiques of Barack Obama and ended up in the sphere of the Socialist Party of America in 2009. Oh,
1: okay. Uh, this I didn't know.
0: Yeah. Um, so I couldn't join fully because there was no chapter in Georgia at the time. And that's not true now. But I mean, there, if you were trying to, and even in Atlanta at the time, join a socialist organization, your only option was basically the IWW or an at-large member of the ISO, right? That was it in, in 2009. And I think people kind of forget that because nobody, like if you weren't on a major college campus, a lot of these organizations didn't have groups totally, in your yeah. area.
1: So, yeah, I actually was a member. So, uh, this is a uh, (laughs) uh, as we've discussed before. uh, There is completely worthlessly; it's not doing me any any good whatsoever. But there is like a big org chart in my head of all the socialist sects and uh, (laughs) that that have uh, been around at different times and how they're related to each other. So, Socialist Party USA, I think is what you're talking about. Less than yeah, what I yeah, yeah. So they...
0: the uh, alternative organization to the DSA, actually, you know, from the 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 dissolution of the original Socialist Party of America, of which apparently there's another split of the SPUSA that is the SPA Part Two. I don't well, know that's, that's what I was
1: wondering when you said that because I was like, oh, Socialist Party of America? Did did he mean Socialist Party USA or is the Socialist
0: I... Party USA? Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's for, for people who don't know all this. So Socialist Party of America is the Eugene Debs, Norman Thomas party. Uh, it, uh, it splintered uh, three ways at the, in like the seventies, you know, there was like really bitterly divided over, you know, Vietnam to some extent uh, and, uh, and sort of attitudes towards the new left and a lot of stuff like that. And the sort of, uh, right wing of it became something called the social democrats USA, uh which is uh there's actually ironically a Christopher Hitchens piece in the 80s where he like goes to a meeting of theirs and he says that it should be called the Social Democrats USA, USA. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the uh the far left of it uh with uh David McReynolds uh became the Socialist Party USA and then and then, like the 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 middle, you know, the somewhere in between people, uh, who were who were probably closer on on policy to the Socialist Party USA people, but who were you know more pragmatic about the Democratic Party and all that. With Michael Harrington, became uh, the Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee. Which eventually merges with Barbara Aaron Reich's Group, the New American Movement, to become become DSA. So uh, now everybody else knows this too, but uh, but I was actually also I was a I was actually a member of the Socialist Party USA in the mid two thousands uh, for a few years. Not you know like I think like two thousand three to two thousand six.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: I was in the Socialist Party in Michigan before, um, so or
0: after, or yeah. concurrent to being in the ISO. No. Way after,
1: way after. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had been, I was in the ISO for like five minutes when I was in high school, um, and yeah, this was, this was a long time after that. In fact, the, you know, the appeal. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I'd already lost enough of my uh, Bolshevik edge, you know, that the appeal of the, of the Socialist Party of usa to a great extent was hey this is this like broad non-sectarian organization you know you don't have to like agree with like a 300 point program to uh to to become a member and so maybe this has the potential to to become something um so yeah i spent a couple of years uh driving from uh well various points of michigan that i lived then to ann arbor which is where they always had the uh the state meetings and um you know, sitting in the, sitting in like the student union building around the couches with like 10 other people that was, you know, what social, you know, that was like a, that was like a good socialist meeting in the mid 2000s in Michigan.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, these, these meetings were tiny. I mean, it, it was, it was kind of something else. When I, when I moved to uh, South Korea in 2010 to take a, to take a kind of emergency post after I quit being a uh, public school teacher for a while. Um, I sort of became an at-large fellow traveler of the, S- of, the of the SPUSA because I w- was not in the country and thus could not be a member. Um, and during, God, it was, who was the, it, who was the Alexander, what was his name? Socialist Party of America. Uh, Social Party USA, say presidential run in two thousand ten. I see who that was. Two thousand ten? No, it's two thousand twelve.
1: Uh, yeah, two thousand twelve, right? Uh, I don't know actually. So because that was, I think that was after I wasn't paying attention to them anymore. Like the the ones I know were two thousand was David McReynolds, Two thousand and four was. Um, uh was was Walt Brown right and mm-hmm. uh and then after that I, I lose track I know I know Eric Brown was their candidate at one point in the distant past but or no Eric Brown is that even that guy's name I'm up here getting mixed up Eric something Eric Chester that's what that's who I mean Eric Chester who people may know as a socialist historian was their their candidate once but no I don't know any of the late 2000s or 2010s people yeah,
0: I think it was Alexander. Um, and that caused a, a, the lead up to that. I wasn't actually involved in the campaign. Again, I wasn't in the United States. Uh, got really, really bitter with one of the, the tendencies in the Socialist Party fighting another. And tendencies worked in the Socialist Party, kind of similar to what caucuses do in the DSA. Mm-hmm they they are they are ideal they are the things you have to agree to a 100 page document exactly
1: join. yeah <laughs> yeah a a a the, within the organization yeah
0: <laughs> right the, the the sectarian organization within the organization which is super common now um yep. and uh my the the sectarian organization I was in was a, was I think it was called the radical the radical tendency and it was a mixture of of Malice and Trotskyist together, which Mm -hmm. in and of itself, you can already tell how this is going to go. And, uh, they get into a fight with the, with the Mac Reynolds and McNally factions
1: of,
0: of the, of the socialist party USA and they self purge. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I remember, uh, I basically am going through this, but I'm going through it by proxy because I'm actually more involved with the lead up to Occupy Yoido in Korea at this point,
3: point. Yeah.
0: and um, and also just my my scholarship on on the left. And I was I was writing a paper that is so offensive now, uh, comparing leftist sectarian groups to occult sectarian groups. Uh, uh, <laughs> not something I would do now, but sure, it, sure. it was actually a research interest, like a sincere sociological research interest of mine, and yeah. um, and I ended up being temporarily recruited by the platypus affiliated society mm-hmm. because they like to pick up people who are disaffected from other groups, and. I stayed in them for about a year. I left because I thought they were too focused on the battle uh, within the left and on academic concerns and also that they they were hostile to everyone unnecessarily uh-huh. <laughs> you know this is before the controversies of the Why not Trump article or any of that like this is like we're gonna pick a fight with all the other Trotskyist groups um. So I leave and, um, around 2014, 15, I just get immersed in podcasting briefly. I join a group called the red party, which
1: was, yep. (laughs) I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) So so wait a second. Was this the same thing as the the British one or is
0: this different? This is related to the British one, but it's, it's different. It's in the United States. It, okay. is, it was a bunch of people partly inspired by Hal Draper and partly inspired by Mike McNair mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the presence of Neokowskiism. At the same time, I also sort of make my, my name and left publishing by commissioning an article with uh, the, a late friend of mine, Paul Shetler, um, who died in 2020. Uh, for the formerly louis project ran north star um, and
1: i these uh, these this, this, these are some uh, uh <laughs> yeah uh, these louis, are old names <laughs> yeah. yeah louis project is somebody i would like uh argue with on like news groups and email lists in like 1998 uh, that's the uh or you know god um, that's uh which which actually i I remember um i remember i i, th- I think uh I actually remember test- texting with Boscar when when proyak died, you know, and we agreed that whatever else you could say, you know the man was a legendary poster but uh but yeah, yeah it before, before it
0: was cool yeah exactly, yeah. <laughs> um he did a hit piece on me actually, but between that sure, and then breaking the, yeah <laughs> yes, um, and then breaking the uh uh, the the Mark Fisher Vampire Castle series, which was originally a series of essays that involved Mark Fisher, Sam Chris, Jody Dean, Michael Rettenwald, and myself, um, which the Mark Fisher piece blew up. I mean, it almost crashed the site. Um, and that's kind of how I got pu- that and being a long time collaborator with Doug Lane's, how I get pulled into left publishing. So,
1: right. That makes sense. Um, then we yeah. met each
0: other around that time too, actually.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Cause, cause I, I, it was a Hegel uh, reading group. That's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that was between my two stints in Korea, uh, when that happened. So this would be like 2012 or something.
0: Yeah, we, we, we seem to, to like, you went to Korea immediately after I left and went to Uh, Mexico uh, and then, and
1: then
0: like, we did that, even though we were like going in many of the similar places and moving in a similar peer group, we did not meet till when you met Michael Brooks, actually. Yeah. yeah,
1: Yeah. We didn't meet in person until, until 2018, we met online in like 2012 or something, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I I think, uh, and you know, now I'm in Mexico, so you know, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a big circle. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, the yeah, I mean, the the Platt part of that story is also interesting to me because I've I've sort of um, you know, had slightly different feelings about those people at different time points in time because uh you know they can be you know they can be incredibly annoying online uh there are like smart people who who end up who end up in that and you know might sometimes have interesting things to say i I think the uh well, this isn't the most uncharitable thing I've ever said about them, but you know like top twenty uh the um uh, you know it's like there's a point when like that that like why not Trump thing came out. And it's like, I just remember thinking it's like, this is like the Spartacus league. If it's leader was Michael Tracy. Like, that, you know, I so. mean,
0: yeah, uh, yes it is. Although, you know, you know, the history with them and the Sparts. they're a split from another Spart split, right? Like they're a split from the international Bolshevik tendency itself, which is a split from the
1: Sparts. <laughs> yeah. 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 So the DNA right. is there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh it's like but it's like a, yeah, like like it almost seems like I guess what it is, which is which is the sort of like second level uh emergence for the sparts, but it's like you have it's like the Bolshevik tendency like merged with an Adorno reading group or something.
0: Yeah, kinda. I mean it it's basically uh, a person who studied under Adolf Reed and Moshe Postone became good friends with a person who was a former IBT person, and they, they created a curriculum mixing IBT, IBT Trotskyism with a very particular reading of, uh, of the middle period Frankfurt School. And um, they, ha- they were pretty good on Marxist education, and that's why a lot of smart people come out of them. I mean, their reading list is impressive. Although I will say it includes very little Marxist economics of any variety, um, which yeah. I, I, I do think is actually kind of important. But yeah,
1: well, what well, it is interesting too. Like I remember, um, I remember. I mean, I, okay, I, I don't know how deep to, to go into this, how interested it's going to be for people. But I mean, like I, um, I remember Doug saying something about that last point that like you'd have these, you know, big plats who would say things like, well. You know, there's, like, Marx's labor theory of value is just like Adam Smith's uh, labor theory of value. It's like, well, that's a weird thing for somebody who's, like, always reading Marx to say, right? I mean, like, like, like that's... Um, so So there is... Uh, uh, you know, because cause it does seem to me, right? Like, I mean, I don't even... Um, uh, you know, like like I'm even a little bit heretical on this stuff, but I mean, it, it just seems like it's it's a big, it's a big enough part of the original edifice that you want to like engage with it a little, if only to figure out you know uh, what you uh, you know what you think is true and how much of the stuff that's sort of built around it you know you think can survive without it and you know and all all of that stuff. So I mean, it seems like um you know it's, it seems like if you're going to do like a giant Marxist reading list, I mean that's uh, you know that's um like just not do. i mean because if nothing else too it's like okay so like what does marxism actually mean well you know figure at the most basic level marxism is a theory of both how different class societies work most importantly capitalism because that's what there's the the most analysis about and, mm-hmm. and a theory of how you know of of historical change of how you get you know why class societies come up in the first place? How they can be gotten rid of? All that stuff, and it just—it just seems like if you're not, um, yeah, if you don't have the analysis of how capitalist economies work, then that's—I mean, I guess I know what that leaves, right? I mean, there's like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of historical and political writing, um, a lot of journalistic writing, the a lot of factional writing, but. Yeah, it it is that is a that is a big gap.
0: Yeah. Um I left and I quit paying dues in 2012 and I quit. Uh I officially resigned because it's like many socialist groups, it's like leaving the Mormon church. You have to like <laughs> leave. Um, um I officially resigned in 2013. Um and you know, I I am grateful for some of the education I got in there, and there's some very good people in that organization. Um, but I tend to think that they view bourgeois values um, as, in communism, as a manifestation of bourgeois values. So they talk about liberalism mm-hmm. in a very particular way, and if you read them, and, and you're not you know, I have my disagreements with our mutual friend, Matt McManus, but if you read them uh, superficially at first, they sound like somebody like Matt McManus.
1: Like Yeah. Right.
0: Yep. <laughs> um, but you know, when you get to the right, not Trump era, you get, well, they're actually on something different. And one of the things they talk about is like, occasionally a couple of them will go off and say, well, Republicans still believe in bourgeois values, which I, you know, have always responded uh-huh. to them. You can only say that if you, if you're just primarily used to dealing with Democrats, <laughs> like, yeah. like, because I don't think, you know, and I'm not, I don't mean to slander them,
1: but I, I don't think that's, that's, uh, that's true. Um, I no, don't I mean, think you, Obviously you, not, right? I mean, like if, if you're, if, if, look, if what you mean by bourgeois values is like, um, like liberalism in some broad sense, um, that which I, and it's like a little bit weird and frustrating is like a way to put it because it's like combining a couple different issues but if that's like roughly what you mean then it's like okay um like like if we're just interested like I maybe mean, even just to kind of drop the Marxy framing for a second if we're just sort of interested in like i don't know what like free speech or you mm-hmm. know things like that it's like okay uh look sure I mean, I I know what the list of, of of uh of complaints about Democrats on that issue is, and I I agree with most of those complaints, right? I, I think that's mostly right, but like um you know about encouraging tech censorship and you know things like that, but like also, I mean, also fucking come on, I mean, like you know you have like um you know like Oklahoma uh, literally uh, last year uh, fired. A uh, like a high school English teacher because she'd shared with her students a QR code to where they could get a Brooklyn Public Library card on you know so they could like you know which would potentially let them read bad books online. Like yeah, the, I
0: mean, I literally had to write a a, a briefing defending the use of uh, I Know Why the Cades Bird Sings uh, today because a conservative parent group actually weaponizing liberal rhetoric around trauma. Um, and so like, that's what I deal with in my job on a daily basis. So I, I, I just, I tend to take a more jaundiced view of all the political sides maybe, but, but yeah, no,
1: but I, I, yeah totally. Right. I mean, like a, as well, you should, but I mean, like it's also, um, I mean, I, I just don't see the, I just don't even see the case that, um, you know, conservatives, I mean, if anything, I mean, I think a lot of the, you know, the anti CRT laws, the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, you know, some of the like, um, you know, some of the, some of the anti trans stuff, the, uh, the, um, like there are, uh, the laws in state legislatures to make it easier to run over protesters with your car. Like, I, I, I just, uh, it just seems like, Pretty clearly, or my God, yeah, you know, the laws against uh, like the anti anti BDS laws. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it seems like if anything, I mean, you know, in terms of uh, directly using the power of the state to, to to sort of go after distant views, as opposed to sort of you know encouraging corporations to do so, which is not great either, you know. But like, uh, it it seems if to be you know, if anything, much worse on that to me. But uh, agreed. Let me, um, let me take Thomas for the queue. Thomas, what's on your mind? Hey, <clears throat> hey, thanks for uh, letting me call in. Um,
2: I think I wanted to sort of maybe I, I sort of have a different take on the mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> on the Platypus Affiliate societies, like mm-hmm. why not Trump and all that stuff? Yep, go I for think it. their idea is sort of like well, I think what they're attempting to do is sort of break The left's idea that there's like a conservative party and a liberal party, like one that's bad and one that's bad, but, you know, not that bad. They're better. Um, And ultimately, we have to always support them. Right. Um, I think what Platypus is trying to say is like, no, they're both awful. And from a Marxist perspective, we have two right wing parties, none better than the other from a Marxist perspective. Right. So I think it's quite different. From what basically almost all
0: the left does. That's a, that's a, that's a fair reading of some of it, Thomas. And uh, there, I definitely get that sometimes from Chris's speech, but I do want to point out that if you read, um, for example, uh, some particular former members of Platypus, and I will admit they are now former members, um, uh, at Sublation Magazine, they actually do explicitly celebrate Republicanism, and they took the why not Trump to sometimes, for example, taking anti-BLM positions during the, the BLM protests. Now, was that all a platypus? No. Was it Chris Cotrone or Spencer Leonard or Joseph Estes who are the leadership? By and large, no. But it was in the organization so even within the organization itself both interpretations exist now again to defend platypus that's part of its mission but um to you know to talk about the circumstances of my leaving a little bit more um i grew away from it in theory but they also purged a lot of people who i knew personally um, from the organization for taking a hostile stance to Patron in 2013 some of that was before, uh, borderline well, not borderline unethical behavior. Some of that had to do with interpersonal relationships that broke apart. Um, and I'm not going to defame anybody by talking about it on air. Um, but that what effectively left was a lot of the people who were more associated with the quote, left wing of platypus. Um, now, um, i I do not think anything chris uh and Spencer have said is beyond the pale, which is something I think of certain other groups, like I think for example, some stuff that has been said out of spiked in relation to brexit is beyond the pale like so I don't think if you're a platypus member that you're a bad faith actor or not part of the or not part of the left whatever that means um but I do think that There is a sense in which Chris, for example, would go on 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 my wall and accuse everyone who said anything soft about the Democrats as being effectively a Democrat. But by that logic. What he has argued about Trump would actually apply to him and say that he's effectively a Republican. I don't think he's effectively a Republican, but that means I also don't think that a lot of people he's calling effectively Democrats are Democrats. Now uh, I think Ben and I actually disagree on what strategic orientation you should have towards the democratic party. Um, but I do think that, that, that th- there's an ambiguity there. Um, and like I said, I'm not of a, of a kick the plats out perspective and, you know, mm-hmm. I'll even have members on members of them on my show, particularly Spencer Leonard, whose scholarship I actually think is quite good. Um, I also really like Kane Reed uh, of Socialist Legacy, who uh, I think used to be and I believe still is a Platypus member. He does good scholarship on socialist history. So I don't have a, ho- a high hostility towards the organization. But even within the organization, some people took the reading that I that I was afraid would be taken from the Trump staff, um, and they joined things like the Claremont Institute. You know,
1: yeah. Um, Did Gettys say that he actually voted for Trump, or he tried to vote for Trump, but there was something wrong with the machine, or something like that? I, 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 I've heard all kinds of claims about that. I don't know. Okay, I, it, I thought I thought I remembered that actually. As you were talking, I was scanning over his follow up article in 2020 to see if I remembered that from there, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I would just say, I mean, like, like what I was saying, you know, that, that crack earlier about, you know, the Sparts if their leader was Michael Tracy, uh, is that like, what I find really frustrated about that essay is the same thing that I find frustrating about like reading or trying to talk to Tracy, which is that it's, um, it just seems a little, um, it just seems a little slippery, right? It's like, okay, like, what do you actually try to say here? It, it seems much more like a take than a position. Like, that's the – because cause if it was just, um, you know, if it was just, uh, like, you know, here's my argument for electoral abstentionism, um, that, you know, uh, like it just explicitly said, don't vote for, you know, Hillary and don't vote for Trump or don't vote for Biden and don't vote for Trump, we wouldn't be talking about it and nobody would know the article existed because uh, there are, like – a hundred thousand articles like that that are put out by the far left every election year, and none of them are a big deal. Uh, we're talking about it because it's called "Why Not Trump?" And because there's absolutely nothing in the article that ever exactly says "Don't vote for Trump." <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's like, and, and there's a lot of stuff that seems to be sort of halfway winking at the idea that maybe you should vote for Trump, and it's it's unclear, and it's and it seems to be written in a way that makes it deliberately unclear, and like that's and and I think it you know it it almost has to be in order to get the level of attention that it's gotten.
2: Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, I I don't know. I think it's, it is sort of written in a provocative way, I think,
1: purposefully so. Um, But there's there's, there's, there's like provocative, like Zizek provocative, where you say something sort of counterintuitive and paradoxical, and then the next paragraph, you're like, here's what I mean by that. (laughs) And, uh, And then like, there's, you know, and then it's like clear again. And then there's, like, provocative, like, you just kind of say a lot of very suggestive things, but, like, you never quite spell out one way or the other what you mean?
2: I guess. I don't know. I think when I read it, I think the first time I wasn't very familiar with who they were at all. Um, I think I'd maybe seen, like, Crispy Trown on, on Doug Lane's show. Um, and I kind of got, at least from it, it seemed pretty clear to me that it was not a, hey, we should all vote for Trump. But, uh, like, here's how Trump's, like, possible election provides a certain opportunity for the left to, like, okay, here's, like, how do we break out of our rut? And not saying we should elect Trump to do that, but rather, like, here's how we take advantage of that. And also, here's how, you know, this brings a sort of, like, question about, like, why is the, the left always support the Democrats? Why is it not independent?
1: So I, I, I mean, he does say, for example, I'm looking at Why Not Trump right now, the original article. This is a quote. Trump promises to govern for everyone and proudly proclaims that he'll be bored as president. There's no reason not to believe him. Like, what does that mean?
2: I mean, he would say, I mean, I think they would say that, like, that's basically just like normal Bonapartist
1: politics is
2: the guy, whoever it is, promises to govern for everyone.
1: But but the whole and point about they do. I mean any, any Marxist analysis of Bonapartism you don't actually believe that right I mean pretty much definitionally you say there is a reason not to believe it like you, uh, you definitely don't say there's no reason not to believe it I mean it's not like Marx you know when he's like writing about Louis uh uh you know Louis Napoleon you know was you know was was saying you know um like yeah the the emperor says that you know that that like what he's going to do is just going to serve the interests of the working class I believe him. Well, no, no, but
2: that's okay. But right. But what Chris doesn't say, Trump says he will rule on, on like, in the interest of the working
1: class, he says of all the classes. For, right? Is that what he said? Or for, oh, is yeah. Okay, for, but like, but if you say right? there's no reason not to believe him, like, what, what is there no reason not to believe? Because in a sense, that is what capitalist politicians
2: do, right, is they have to manage the capitalist and working class. Right, they
0: have yeah, to but they but they favor influence.
1: one over the other, because of course, one, agreed. yeah, agree, yeah, okay, so so but 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 once you say that sentence, second sentence, they favor one or the other, you can't say there's no reason not to believe him because you've just said exactly the opposite, like you have to pick between those two
2: uh I don't think it's as clear as that, right, they can't just like I, they have to manage
1: capitalism, right, that's well, what. They shit. Have. Yes, they have to manage capitalism. And that, but if and he'd, that means managing but but interests. But if he'd said there's no reason that to believe that Trump won't manage capitalism in sort of the same sense that any politician would or something like that, then, uh, then again, it would be an, an uninterested article that nobody would remember it existed uh, seven years later. Uh, you know, the reason why it's memorable is because it's written in this deliberately unclear way that's like suggest something super provocative to get people's attention, but still has plausible deniability. It's not saying the provocative thing, which is just like, yeah, this is like just what contrarian journalists do. It's, it's, it's a, it, it strikes me as a really tedious game. That's that, that's my, that's my take on it.
0: I, I have often considered it somewhat similar to like an Ivy league version of what Matt, Matt Taibbi sometimes does, but to, to, to <laughs> speak to, to Chris fairly, you know, some of his positions later, um, yeah, I had a, I had a four hour interview with him and it's the first time we had talked since I'd left the organization that wasn't hostile. He asked me because he thought it was going to be hostile. And I was like, no, you want a hostile interview. <laughs> I'm going to be nice. Um, and, uh, me and, um, then Lexi K now Ezra XKB, uh, interviewed chris and chris said what he really wanted was an independent socialist party in america and he thought this was a way that that trump created a space for that and my retort has been from what i see historically and some of platypus's own analysis of the millennial left that that isn't really likely now I really don't want to get hung up on my days in platypus because yeah, like yeah, I yeah. said um, I have, I have sort of, you know, I have sort of somewhat buried the hatchet with that organization. We sure. It was a brief time where we were at war. Uh. <laughs> um,
1: but um yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I, yeah, you do. You do do that. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never been at war with you, Ben. Um, no, no, no. I've, you've never been at war with me. I, I mean, I, I'm almost never at war with anybody, really. Yeah, which is why everybody beats up on you. <laughs> like you, you have the most. I'm like
0: I see the way people talk to you on Facebook and Twitter. Of like, no one would talk to me that way, and I'm not famous.
1: Why? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, I I mean yeah, it it is it is it is there is something very funny about that. Um I've uh yeah, most uh most recently I, I counted uh, cause I got like a few different notifications, you know, about this and putting together the three notifications I got about it on Twitter, uh Jimmy Dore liked uh fifty four tweets by his uh, by his fans uh attacking me over the course of like the last several days. Um so that's uh yeah there's there's a lot of that but it's like I don't I mean that's also maybe the closest that I've come lately because it's like usually I don't like um I don't like responding to that stuff. Like I don't I don't really like engaging with it. I sort of made an exception here in a way that I'm I still have mixed feelings about. But uh in any case uh, all that's a little bit off track for what we are talking about. Thomas, is there anything else you want to come in on uh, before we? I want to go on to the the other two callers in the queue. Uh,
2: no, that's it. I just want to say, I actually I listened to that
1: four hour interview you mentioned,
2: Varn, and I really enjoyed it. Um, just as I've enjoyed all your, your, your conversations with Spencer, those have been great. Okay. So, thank you, guys. Good to hear you.
1: Good to get a little pushback sometime. All right. Outstanding. Out, out, absolutely. Let's go. What's good, Brady?
3: What's good, brethren? What's up, guys? I have a cool piece of news for Ben. Um, I happened to grow up. up, uh, My neighbor growing up was a very cool bass player of this band that I dropped in the chat. He happens to be your doppelganger. And his name is also Ben. And so I thought you might find that interesting. And also the music is fantastic, dude. You're you're going to be honored, I think, by the work that Ben lays down on those tracks. So yes. check that yes. out. And uh, yeah, by all means, Absolutely. Uh, if you want to get in contact with the guy, I can help you do that. I think it'd be really cool to watch you guys sit down and have a conversation sometime, just <laughs> crack a beer open. He's a really cool guy uh but uh let's see uh an idea i have i think you guys might enjoy is uh the idea of a political barbecue which is uh part of a larger idea of democratic debate and the idea of democratic debate is that you democratically elect the topic of a debate um the debaters so to say um the moderators and then, uh, say, five questions for each side of the debate to be asked at the very beginning of the debate. Well, I do think, um, think that's very,
1: what the Oxford Union and stuff does, right? Like, I mean, obviously, that's that's like, a, you know, that's. that's I was like actually
3: going to in at, at the end yeah. there that the, the monk style debates, how they, they vote at the beginning where they yeah. feel they are on the topic, whether it's one side, the other undecided. It's as, as kind of like a metric for who won the debate. And then that's the idea of a democratic debate in its kind of entirety. And to extend that, there's another idea called the political barbecue, where anyone who's running for office or holding office has to subject themselves to a political roast by uh, either a journalist or investigator who's democratically elected. And they subject themselves to either one to three hours or however much time they're willing to subject themselves to in order to prove their transparency and willingly just as a, a, fun thing we can do for accountability and it can be completely like voluntary. But, uh, I think, uh, you guys do great at that and uh, enjoy the tunes. I'll pass the joint.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will. Uh, yeah, I think it should be involuntary. I think you should make them, but yeah. Uh, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, I like, you know, actually the only thing, you know, in some ways I actually do like those sort of Oxford mug style debates if nothing else, cause <laughs> Ooh. Uh, if If you you have have, like an opening statement uh, you're not you know you're not you know like you don't have to be reading like you're like you can like actually prepare it in advance you know so it's going to be better than Uh uh, than one more idea out of your mouth i will say the one thing i don't like about them is that like voting before and after about the topic because i always think that's such a weird model of persuasion that it's like who changes their mind about anything like two minutes after hearing, <laughs> you know, two minutes after hearing somebody give, give the face It uh, does
3: happen. Give it the case happen. for it. I'll, I'll just uh, yeah, I just want to add one more idea before yeah, I go, yeah. one more yep. quick idea yep. before I go, is yep. the yep. idea of a proxy debate where if someone refuses to a debate or if a debate is impossible because say someone is dead or separated by time, um, I would like to encourage the idea of proxy debate where someone pretends to play the character of whoever's not available Either on both sides, and then we can essentially like get into character improv style and have kind of like a theatrical proxy debate, um, for lack of uh possibilities.
1: Sure, sounds fun. Uh, anyway, I definitely do want to check out the uh the music by my bass playing doppelganger. I took guitar lessons for like a couple weeks in high school, but uh, I I do not have a natural talent for it. So I am curious about that, but uh, Jeremy, what's on your mind? Hello? Doesn't look like you're muted, but I don't hear you for some reason. Larry, are you there? Larry?
4: Hey, Larry. Yeah, this is Jeremy in Portland calling. Uh, first, you know, long time, first time. I got a question for the, uh, for the panel. what's up man is there like you know given how like curled 80s and 90s edgelordism is now and the game is sort of like turning aggressive whatever the hell you'd want to call back then is now kind of like bullshit and worse is there any productive utility to like provocative or contrarianism writing uh, to like you know generate anything other than just people yelling at each other and not getting the context Thanks. I love your
1: show, Larry. Appreciate that. Um, I've been talking a lot. Uh, Derek, you got anything?
0: You know, it's it's funny. I was thinking about how um, we talk about contrarian political humor, and I was thinking about Mr. Show, which is a left liberal show. It's not like the most radical thing in the world. And if you know Bob Odenkirk and David Cross's politics, you get that. But what I find interesting about that is that show hasn't aged like milk. Um, and what I uh, think... do you, mm-hmm.
4: oh, do you remember the name of Bob's like reactionary country singer pre Toby Keith, uh, "Blow Up the Moon"? Uh, uh, country singer, I, I believe it was like Hank Williams the <laughs> Fourth. So... You're closer than you'd expect. CS Lewis Jr. Oh yeah. Which is such an awesome like fucking English major nerd ass joke that it's just supreme. Or uh, or the uh, the sketch about the founding fathers including Tom Kenny as Abraham Lincoln with like the worst New York accent possible trying to divide to be, uh, to design a flag that like 90s like, performance artists couldn't, like, uh, shit on in their art. So, just two examples. Anyway, sorry for interrupting.
0: My favorite Mr. Show skit is actually, probably would be considered problematic today, but it's the clan member who's working with a bunch of Maoist-style national liberationists and forgets to give himself a country when they divide <laughs> up America. Um, that, that, one, uh, that one amused the shit out of me. But, um... <laughs>
1: You know, my favorite Mr. Show which uh which get is uh, has gotta be the uh uh the racist in the year three thousand. But uh you know my daddy always told me not to trust no man who was made out of good. that that you Gleep Glop, you're one of the good ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, um you know, but but it is interesting to think about like the, the fate of Edgelord comedy because mm-hmm so much of it is highly dependent on irony and context and there. There was a turning. I mean, the turning was almost 10 years ago where people started talking about how ironic racism is still racism. Um, That, that I I guess you see it in the kind of like weird cul-de-sac that Dave Chappelle found himself in multiple times, right? Like, um, and this is not a defense or a condemnation of the man, but like his his realizations about his commentary on race, leading him to like drop mm-hmm. the show. Um, but then also his his positions uh, on trans people and a whole lot of other things. Honestly, getting thrown back at him later, leading him to double down on a kind of edge lordy comedy. There there is a sense in which. Um, I think if you're engaged in kind of contrarian shock art, you have to let it be applied to yourselves and you have to like expect, uh, the controversy and in some sense, neither double down nor back away. And yeah. most people don't seem to have the ability to do that. Like they seem to double down, in which case they reify usually a kind of reactionary political position or they back
1: away, which doesn't help you. So totally. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, the Chappelle example is interesting because, you know, the last album that he did, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, it's tough because like there there is a lot of it where like the story that he's actually telling, like he'll sort of say individually, like kind of, you know, if you just look at them as a snippet, you know, much more like edgy or offensive things like within it. But the overall story that he's telling over the course of that whole part of the album is like sort of having greater understanding of what trans people are going through. And, uh, and, and like, actually the last line, I think he says about that in the show is I'm not going to tell any more jokes about this until uh, until we're, I'm, I'm sure that we're all laughing together, or something like that, um, which really surprised me because I've been hearing people, you know, kind of give t- takes on that album for a long time before it came out. But I will say that, you know, my, my problem with, uh, you know, my problem with Chappelle and some of this stuff, more than anything, is, is kind of more about the last thing you said, about, like, not mm-hmm. doubling down and also not backing away, that, uh, like, and it's not just Chappelle; it's like a lot of comedy in general. Like, and this is kind of my thing about how the the culture war in general is horrible for comedy because either you're doing like, Hannah Gadsby-style clapter, which is insufferable, or else you're, um, or else you know, like, even really good comedians will will like waste ten minutes at the at the top of a, a set uh, arguing like, complaining about how you can't tell a joke anymore, which is not particularly funny, <laughs> and, uh, and it's it's like it would be so much better if you just pretended that the reaction to what you're saying didn't exist. And, um, like, like I, I think about, uh, like Norm MacDonald, like, you know, you can't, you know, you can't really imagine Norm admitting to having any fucking idea what people think about, you know, his comedy or certainly like actually talking about it, you know, during, during a set, it would it would ruin the effect. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Yeah. That too. And I think something about the, uh, Derek, you mentioned like 10 years ago, and it just, if, just, it's if something just clicked and made me realize. I think the turning point was like aughts in early, like in early 2010, so yeah, Obama era, like, um, like vice, Gavin McKinnis, uh, like, you know, hipster Katrinism would at one point just kind of like it gotten to the point of just being, you know, some sort of, for lack of a better description, like cocaine nihilism, when you had, like, you know, the, the, um, the, the explosion of, like, well, not the explosion, but rather the, pro- the, the beginning of the prominence for a lot of factors of, like, the Brooklyn early aught scene with music and, and all that stuff, that at some point, it kind of, like, all of the 90s stuff kind of went out and it just became denuded and all that. And eventually, that's when you start... Into, like, hide, like, you know, much more like edgy well, quote unquote edgy shit that was just like either nihilistic or just like, you know, deciding to go, hey, let's just go whole hog on this um on this stuff that would have you know gotten us beaten up by uh kids outside of a Death in June uh concert fifteen years earlier. And then you know, and then Gamergate hits and then we have the uh the progression that is one of teams. You know, thought so. Yeah. The
1: uh, uh, thank you, thank you for the discussion, and I will hang up. Oh, okay. uh, got the last part of that got a little bit cut off, but yeah, thank you, thank you, Jeremy. That was a really good call.
0: Yeah, I I think there's there's a lot to deal with with the fact that there there tends to be a way in which satire uh, can become reactionary, um, mm. although. Uh, I, I often think about Angela Nagel's "Kill All Normies," where she makes the argument that you know transgression has a right wing edge, and I I kind of thought like, well, that's giving most counter systemic social force to the right. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then you know later on she she uh, starts talking about how the left hates truth and beauty. So, um, yeah. But,
1: do, you, do you uh did you um uh... Like, like, actually, so, so, I do want to let you go within the next minute because it's getting it's getting dark here on the West Coast. I want to take my dog on a walk. But, uh, do you, uh, like, what was your what was your feeling about Kill All Norms when it first came out?
0: So it's a complicated, I have a complicated response to that one. And now that I don't work for zero, I can talk a little bit about this. I critiqued it as when I, I said it should be published. I voted for it to be published, mm-hmm. but I wrote a like four paragraph writer that it seemed ignorant of the history of uh, current traditionalism and other quote, right-wing critiques of conservatism mm. Um that have been operating on a subcultural level since the nineties with like feral house books and, and stuff like that. Um, and that the alt-right had been around for a lot longer than the Usenet forum she was talking about. And I like literally knew that history pretty, pretty well. Uh, I've sort of infinitely mentioned that in the mid aughts that I had an, a weird exchange with, Richard Spencer when I think he was still the arts editor for American Conservative Magazine about his feelings (laughs) about Adorno which is a a very strange (laughs) subtopic that has to do with his his uh, relationship kind of with Paul Gottfried who was Marcuse's student Um, but the other thing that, that I did not I uh, I said, and I said this in response, actually, not to the book, um, but I didn't see the whole book when it was published. So, when, so the manuscript I got was missing a couple of chapters. Um, and a lot of people were citing stuff in that book that I don't remember being in there when it first came out. So I said it wasn't, and then they quoted it at me. I was like, oh, it really is in there. It wasn't in the manuscript version I voted on. But for people who don't know at zero we would often accept a book yeah. based off of like three or four chapters and and that we had most of killer normies when it was submitted but not yeah, all it was
1: a horrible publishing process there's no because um, because essentially like you know you submitted a proposal and it got accepted which is like that part's like any normal publisher right that you know that you like like that'd be a very that's like a very normal thing in publishing like here's three chapters and an outline of what i have in mind for the rest of the book okay, we'll accept it. Fine. Uh, but at any normal publisher, then you turn in a manuscript and then the publisher gives you a bunch of notes and then you have to like address the, you know, address their notes and like do the revisions to their satisfaction before they'll publish it. And zero essentially skipped that last part.
0: Yeah, they did. So, so like you would do with the publisher, but once you got the, um, the notes, uh, you could react to them or not, but the other editors who gave you those notes never see the manuscript again until it
1: is finished, and that's even if they choose to um yeah, right you get notes for about the proposal, but I mean, like the actual book, all you'd ever get are copy edits and even exactly though, you know, even those were not you know uh whatever uh but uh but yeah you, you wouldn't get like the original editors you know <laughs> who approved it wouldn't get a chance to look at the actual finished manuscript and then give you notes on that which is which is crazy to me looking back on it because like i you know i will just briefly say i mean my experience with zero is that uh, i had uh like doug doug came to me to ask if i wanted to do a book with them he kind of had you know based on my interests or whatever he kind of had the idea for the book in, in mind and i ended up doing it and then you know over the course of the next couple of years as i had other ideas for books such just kind of the path of least resistance and plus you know i wanted to help dug out so i i do them with uh you know with, with zero so, so i went through this a few times and um and and yeah and, and like also part of like the reason i never shopped around the original original book manuscript to any other publisher is is that like you know one it was doug's idea but two when he gave to it like when i agreed to do and i was like oh yeah that'd be a fun thing to write i don't think you know i'm sure like 200 people will, will read it but that's fine i'll write it anyway and um you know i, I think there are a lot of uh you know i hope at uh at, at doug's new enterprise since he has more control over it it's a little bit different but um but yeah there, there, were, there were definitely some. Some some flaws in the way that that process works. at, yeah. at, at zero,
0: and and uh, the kill All books was rushed even for a zero book. So we put it, we fast tracked it through, so it, it didn't get a second copy out of it. So like we missed things like the stuff that caused the plagiarism scandal, which yeah. was copying stuff from from Substack uncredited, which. I still thought like, I, I actually said it was a big deal, but I, you know, that that was, that was more or less our fault. Um, the not Substack, it was Reddit. Yeah. Um, uh, but I have to, it, I have to admit that like her later positions didn't surprise me
3: mm-hmm. um,
0: because of some interviews she had given about six months after the book came out. On small venues like uh, Thaddeus Russell's Unregistered, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. where she
0: sound very sympathetic to kind of paleo conservative uh, factions in the UK, she 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 spoke rapturously about Peter Hitchens, and yeah. had a very culturally purist take on Irish nationalism that that uh, and a weird reading of Marx's opinion of, like, international trade, which was kind of opposite of what Marx explicitly said. Um, So when she went on Tucker Carlson, I was not surprised. But what did surprise me was her refusal to um, engage with her publisher on that, since Doug had been her primary defender for a long time. Um, So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, yeah. Okay. No, I was just, I was just kind of curious about that. I mean, I liked the book fine, you know, when I read it, which was the published version. Um, I think I, it's good,
0: but incomplete, it, you know, barring some of the, 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 I, I do think you really had to look at the longer history of the, of the far right in America to really get what was going on. But, yeah, I think she was onto something about how how like, you know, edgy edge lord tricking like basically edging yourself into, uh, you know, and in, into weird politics and doubling down on it. Just like we talked about, with Chappelle was a right wing kind of phenomenon. I don't know that transgression is a right wing phenomenon. I think I think the doubling down on transgression when someone comes at you, kind of almost almost ends up having to be. And you've seen people who were kind of like good left liberals. Like think about Louis C.K. before his, his, uh, his crisis and after, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like his, his, his comedy became much more reactionary and much less funny um, when he came back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was, uh I mean, I actually think it wasn't as bad as I was worried it was going to be because like the obvious problem is that it was so personal <laughs> and uh, right, and it's and it's like well, how personal are you going to be, you know? After all this stuff comes out, right? It's like after your after you you uh, after both your 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 you know your misdeeds come out, and also after you go through the rigor for those misdeeds, you know, it's it's it. it, it it seemed really hard to imagine a version of it that wasn't going to be a lot more distant, which given the particular kind of thing that he did is very unfortunate. Um, but anyway, uh, I am, uh, you know, we, we could, we could, uh, I'm sure happily be under our way through another few hours. Cause this is, this is all, uh, this is all really interesting. And I'm, uh, I've definitely, um, I have definitely been uh, been enjoying it, but uh, but yeah, I do want to grab that last little bit of light. So uh, I am going to uh, to cut it here. Uh, do you want to remind people where they can find you?
0: Yeah, you can find me at VarnBlog, which you can just look up VarnBlog on Patreon if you want all of it or the free stuff. And I keep most of my educational stuff is free. You can look up VarnBlog on YouTube. You can also find me at @skeptpoet Poet on uh, on on the Mustbox at VarmBlog at toot.community on Mastodon. Although I'll be honest with you, I, I played with that very briefly. <laughs> and uh, um, if you look up my name, you'll find my public page on the Facebook.